It's wonderful to be here. I think it's been four years, four or five years. There's something little called a, a global pandemic's happened since I was last here with you. Um, and since then, um, the church where I'm at, New, New Life, we've moved twice. So we've gone out of a building that we rented for years, we leased. Um, then we, we camped for, for an afternoon for about six months at a Hope Church in Lancaster where Andrew and Jamie and the team just took us under their wing, and we did some stuff with them as well, which is great. And now we're meeting in a primary school in Scottforth. So um, schools, schools are just cool. You talked about, you know, put, cool churches putting on cool things. We're following you guys um, in the coolness of school. Schoolness is coolness. Anyway, but it's just great to be back, and I'm, I know many of you know this, but Christy and I have a great friendship. We're, we're brothers in Christ who've helped each other and, and lifted each other over the years, and um, I know many of you as well. Some of you have kicked you on a football pitch the last 20 years or so. Um, some of you have kicked me, um, and just great to connect with so many friends and family here. Graham, I don't know if I ever kicked you. I think I did. I knocked you over once. I remember it clearly. Anyway, that's another story. But today we're going to look at the still new commandment. The still new commandment. And some of you straight away know where I'm going uh, with this. And if you don't, don't worry. But let's have a look at some new things, shall we? Can we have the next slide, please? Some new things. Anybody know who they are? And new kids on the block. You knew that as a mark. And I bet you know all the words from their, their, their top songs, don't you? Never heard of them. The new kids on the block. That was back in the 80s or 90s. Do you want to see what they look like today? There we go. They're not so new. Actually, we're doing a spoof video there. But those young, fresh-faced boys into these guys. They do look like food fighters. Um, so they're the new kids on the block. Any, did we have any new kids on the block fans here? Oh, come on. It's, a, oh, it's that guilty secret, isn't it? Sorry? Emma Carter. Emma, Emma Carter's back there somewhere, I think. Yes. Emma, yes. Um, ooh, ooh. Anyway, so, okay, let's have the next slide. New things. That was brand new to me. That was the most exciting thing I ever had in my hands up to that point in my life in 1984, 1985. I mean, that, anybody know what that is? Not just a ZX Spectrum, it's a ZX Spectrum 48K, thank you very much. Do you know, that was an amazing computer. Do you know how much 48K is? 48 kilobytes. I mean, it is like, it's something like a millionth of what I now have, which is a MacBook Air. I'm sorry, I've got a MacBook here, I'm sorry. But yeah, it, it, I mean, that thing over there, that was just like, oh, that was the new thing. It was exciting. I used to plug in the leads into my cassette player and then plug it into the little black and white TV about that big. And I'd be waiting for five minutes to just load speech marks, speech marks. Some of you have got no idea what I'm talking about. That was new once, but it's not now. Now, next one, next one. Just a random, handsome teenager from the 80s. That was me in my San Francisco 49ers jacket. I remember saving up for that, going down to Oasis in Birmingham. Do you remember Oasis in Birmingham, Christy? Because Christy lived there for a while. Um, and buying this San Francisco 49ers jacket. I loved it. I, oh, I loved it. My wife threw it out a few years ago. 
I think it was after two years of marriage, she says, that thing needs to go. That, when that was, I tell you, I walked down the road in that jacket, feeling like the bee's knees. Um, I just loved it. I've got stories about that jacket, but I will leave it there. So that's me uh, in my jacket in 1987, and that was new. And I looked fairly fresh-faced there, didn't I? I don't need to give you a picture of what's happened, do I? It's here. At some stage, everything was new, looked modern. This hall at one stage was new. This hairstyle at one stage was new. Ideas. Ideas were new. Every idea was at some stage novel and new, wasn't it? Hey, how about if we serve food from our restaurant, but the customers don't have to get out of their cars? It's called a drive-thru, isn't it? Somebody had that idea one day in America. How about lots of ideas, but with time, things get old. Let's have the next slide, please. Cars that were new, rust, the parts wear out. Anybody recognize that car? I said, Mark 1 Golf. But they rust, they wear out. We've built in obsolescence now, haven't we? Apple don't want you to have a phone that works forever. They want us to move on to the new model, the new thing. Our kids at Christmas, they open a present, something, you know, they get something they've really wanted for ages, and it's right there in front of them, that Xbox controller held carefully, the new thing. And after two days, where's the controller? It's behind the sofa or under a cushion. And after two months, chips and marks in the plastic appear where, out of frustration, it's being bashed. Maybe that's just in our house. I really do need to talk to my wife about FIFA not playing it anymore, don't I? But anyway, the new gets old. The new gets old. And the novel, the novel changes, doesn't it? The novel is no longer novel. What was new no longer fills our senses, holds our attention. The new healthy practice that we had in January becomes a forgotten old pattern. Have you been there? What once delighted, fascinated, consumed us is now forgotten. It even happens in church world. Comes in church world. Remember the prayer of Jabez? Remember the fascination with the prayer of Jabez? Is anybody still... Constantly fascinated by the prayer of Jabez. Yet some things that are labeled new should never get old. If there was one thing that you think should never get old, should remain new, fresh, vital all the time, what would it be, I wonder? That's just by way of introduction to the message this morning. So just stick a pin in that, as the Americans say. It's just a thought, and I pray that you and I, that we will have ears and hearts to hear and receive what the Holy Spirit is saying to the church today. We're going to go to John 13, and John 13 is a pivotal point in John's gospel. Up until this point in John's account, Jesus has been very public, doing miracles, um, calling people to follow him, explaining who he is. You know those famous I am sayings that we find in John But now, in chapter 13, Jesus moves it all behind closed doors. 
He's just got his closest ones there now. And he starts to really train his disciples. And chapter 13 starts with two observations of what was happening with Jesus. Number one, he knew that he was soon going to die. He knew it. I wonder how we would behave and live if we knew we were going to die. Well, Jesus knew that he was going to die. And then he knew he was also going to be raised up and soon after leave the earth. But secondly, coupled with that, in his soul he was heavy. Why? What with? His soul was heavy with love. Burdened. With love. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. He knew his path and he had a passion. Such a love for this bunch of disparate men who, humanly speaking, would have had little in common with, with each other or with this Nazarene carpenter, let alone anything in common with each other. So, in a moment, we'll enter the scene of action where he demonstrated this passion. But am I reading today? is from John 13, 33 to 35. So let's just go to that. Little children, yet a little while I'm with you, you will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. A new commandment, love one another. A brand new commandment. He said this is new. This is the Greek word is kainos. It, it's not been done before. It's new. Love one another. Not get on with one another. Not suffer one another. Although that does have a place in love, doesn't it? Let's be honest. It does at times. Love. And this morning we're going to look at this commandment from the mouth of Jesus. And then see why it's still new. Why it's still fresh. And like any good preacher, all my points start with... Four Ps. Sorry. I only thought of that this morning. I thought, I've got to put that on. Four Ps. Okay, number one. Next slide. The place of the new commandment. The place of the new commandment where Jesus gives this. How many were in that room? We don't know exactly. As many are as in this room? No. Way less. Way less people that Jesus was talking to. Nowhere near. Just a handful of lads whom he'd been with for the last two or three years continuously. And Jesus had many momentary interactions with other people. Some of them met him under cover of night to talk to him. Some met him at the sea's edge. Some at the leper's tombs. Some in, in wealthy people's houses. It, at wells he met people. In courtyards. Through ceilings. Up trees. Not that Jesus was up a tree, although he might have been at some stage. I can imagine he climbed trees with the kids, but that's another, that's just reading in between the lines. But he met people and interacted with them just for moments. But these bunch of lads, 
were his. He had them with him. Yes, he loves all. Yes, he loved all. He practically showed that a bit further on in, in, in two chapters on. It says that no greater love has any man that he lays down his life for his friends. Well, Jesus laid his life down, not just for these in the room. But when he's speaking, he's speaking to these men. Here's the application. We can only really love a few. Practically, can't we? If you went out of here today and felt the burden that you had to do an act of love for everybody in this room, how would you feel? A bit overwhelmed. Well, here's the news. Jesus would have as well. As a human being, in that moment, Jesus, there's no way that he could love. So he was speaking to those few in that place. Here's the application. Christy cannot love you all the way that Jesus loved these boys. Ian cannot love you all the way that Jesus loved these boys. No pastor can pastor everyone in this congregation. You yourself, you can't love everybody in such a way, such a practical way, to the extent that maybe you'd like to. Not day to day, not consistently. But you can love, and I can love, the brothers and sisters in my life group, in my ministry group, or in my outreach group. I can express love in the spontaneous friendships that spring up in church life. In my family, that's the first place we should start, isn't it? Love one another. Jesus, I need to start with my family. That's where we start. Love them. Don't complain. Well, they talk too much. They don't agree with me on the second coming or the Holy Spirit. They're not my type of person. Jesus says, a new commandment I give you. Who's in your room? Love them. Who's in, not how, who have you chosen to have in your room, but who is in your room? Love them. Even Jesus was under Father's command. He took him through the anguish of the garden and to the agony of the cross. And just a few turns back in chapter 4, Jesus tells his disciples in 434, My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. If you're in Christ, you're a new creation. And one of the fundamental differences between not being in Christ and now being in Christ is this. I once was my own authority, and now I am under authority. Have you ever viewed your Christian life like that? Quite often we like to think, oh, I've been set free. Yes, we have been set free. But this is the paradox. We've been set free to do the will of God. That's why Jesus came, to set us free from the law of sin and death that we naturally live under and to come under his authority. And like I said, Jesus did this. My food is to do the will of the Father. So we can't pick and choose when it comes to this commandment, can we? Anybody? Anybody want to beg to differ? Can we pick and choose when Jesus says, a new commandment I give you, love one another? You don't like someone in this church? Love them. The way Jesus loves you. There's no other option. Otherwise, the consequence is no one will know that we are his disciples. That's a big shame, isn't it? Wouldn't that be a huge shame? If people, well, Paul talks about this, doesn't he, in Corinthians? 
He says you can speak to those charismatic Christians. He says you can speak in fancy spiritual language and have all the gifts. But if you haven't got love, you're a resounding gong, a clashing cymbal. Please, church. Please, brothers and sisters. Let's see this. The place of this new commandment is quite an intimate setting. Let's start there. Let's not bypass the arenas of life and the people that are around us. That's where we need to love. So that's the place of love. We can love the whole earth, but we've got to start at home. We've got to start with that person, maybe that we don't even see eye to eye with. And then there's the permanence of the new commandment. The permanence of the new commandment. When Jesus spoke, there was a vacant space at the table, you know. Where, G- where Judas had been seated just a short while earlier. I don't know how sh- short the time was, but it was just about three lines earlier from what I've read. He left. Why had he left? Why had Judas left the party? To sell out. To sell Jesus. Can you imagine being hurt, betrayed by the one who you thought was with you, for you, had your back? We, maybe you've been hurt in friendships. I mean, if I was to go around, if we were to be honest and say, has anybody let you down? Have you got a fractured relationship somewhere because somebody's hurt you? I think we'd all put, I'd put my hands up. In fact, I could probably, I'd probably need more fingers than, than, than I've got. To count where there has been that in my life. But this is Jesus being sold, sentenced to death by a friend. So here's the question Who can't we love? Who have we stopped loving in our life? Where has the love been? Cut off. Maybe from our side. Maybe for good reason. Maybe you've experienced being wounded in the house of friends. I've been there. Christy's been there. Perhaps you've been doing some, some of the wounding even as I'm talking. thinking actually, yeah, I'm partly to blame for this. Regardless, Judas never returned. He never came back to the table. But if he had... Imagine for a moment, if he had, what would have Jesus' response be? Now, okay, we could get into, well, he had to do this because Jesus said, go quickly, do this thing that you're going to do. And okay, so in some ways I struggle with this. Do you? That this was all in the sovereign will of God and poor Judas. I, I, I struggle with that, but God knows all of that. Okay, putting that aside. If Judas had returned, I believe Jesus would have welcomed the prodigal just like the father did in the story, in the parable that Jesus told. He would have said, Judas, I love you. Let's share some food together. What would you have done with Judas? This command is permanent. Permanent. Come to the Father today maybe and ask him, give me a new revelation of your love in Christ for this person, that person for the person who hangs on me, who annoys me, who has hurt me, for my life group leader maybe, so that I can love them, that I can ongoingly, nonstop, love them, regardless of what they've done 
to me, whatever, regardless of what they will do to me. Jesus, I choose to love them with your love as you have loved me. That's the permanence of it. I want to love permanently. I really do. Lord, help us. Next one, the pattern of the new commandment. So I'll come back to this question. This is an old command, surely. If we're reading it in the Bible, it's old. So what makes it new? Well, look with me at the second part of verse 34. Jesus says, Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. No generation before this bunch of lads had ever been empowered and instructed to live out the love of Jesus. That's what makes this command new. Of course, there's a God of love that appears in the Old Testament and, and, and rescues Israel and, and, and is a mother and a father to Israel and, and promises so many things. But this is the first time that any person has had the opportunity to live out of the love of Jesus. No, no rabbi did what, what Jesus did before, in the, before these verses. No master ever did this. And we're going to turn to that in a moment. When there was a teacher, a rabbi, the disciple, the follower, would, would dress like him would even sometimes walk like him, just copy him, ape him in every sense. No rabbi, no master did this for his followers. Let's look at it. Let's have the next slide, please. John 13, 1 to 5. You can turn to this in your Bibles if you want. It says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. That's the permanency, isn't it? And during supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he'd come from God and was going back to God, he rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments. And taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and to began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He took the nature of a servant. Does that sound familiar? Philippians 2. Let each of you not look only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind in you. Have this mind in you. Among you, actually. The the correct translation, have this mind among you. Not just in you. Which is yours in Christ Jesus. That's where we get it from. Who, though he was in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Taking the form of a servant. And it goes on to say that he humbled himself, being obedient to the point of death, 
even death on a cross. This is the pattern. This is the pattern. Let's go to the next slide. Jesus, the word of God, the author of creation, the alpha and omega, finds himself willingly confined in human skin. Willingly confined in human skin. He lets go of all of his rights. And instead, he loves the Father. He submits that way. And then he looks at those the Father has given them, not just the ones that he decided to choose, the ones the Father said, you're going to have these boys follow you. He looks at them. And he loves them. He shows them his love. He poured water into a basin and washed their feet and wiped them with a towel that was wrapped around him. This is love. This is love. I I think this is wrong, to be honest. This feels wrong to me. It seems wrong to me. It goes against every grain of... of, mm, It just does. In my own natural sense of what is right and wrong. It's too much. It's undignified. If anyone should have his feet washed here, who is it? It's Jesus. Out of all of those in the room, whose feet would you wash? The sons of thunders? James and John? Peter? Would you gladly wash Peter's feet? If we were in that room, the only person whose feet we'd want to wash, and even then some of us would think twice, would be Jesus. But Jesus flips it over. This is the pattern. Jesus says, truly, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. This is the pattern of the new commandment. When Jesus says, a new commandment I give you, love one another as I have loved you, they couldn't say, what do you mean, Jesus? Because he was saying, didn't I just do it? Didn't I just do it for you? Didn't I just parabolize it for you? How do your feet smell right now? Should we all, should we all take our shoes? No, let's not do that. Let's please not do that. Um, I'm sure it's not as bad as when there's 200 kids in here or 100 kids doing sport in here. But anyway, how do your feet smell? If God does that, if Jesus does that for us, then surely we can do that for one another, huh? Could we? Hello? Mm, not sure. This pattern, it, enta- it entails seeing others as more important than ourselves. That means to love like this, nobody, not one of us, can grab hold of a sense of entitlement. And by this will the world know, Jesus said, that you're my disciples, that you have love for one another. That you lay down any sense of entitlement. And that's where God's love was located in Christ. That's where God's love is today by his spirit and will be located. And the pattern requires that we lay it down. Do you know, we can't prepare to wash others' feet whilst we're having our own pedicure. I'm going to go down this cul-de-sac just for a moment. We all have this sense of entitlement at times, don't we? It surfaces when something goes wrong usually. 
You get COVID before going on holiday. <laughs> it's not fair. Your car packs up on the way back from work. Or someone is rude to you and you think, how dare you? And you go into a grump for the rest of the day. Anybody been there? Anybody <laughs> been there this week, maybe? Whew, taking umbrage. We get all up then to God's face. We go, oh, God, that's not fair. Oh, God, why have I got COVID just before going on holiday? Oh, God, what are you doing? Why is my car packed up? You know I haven't got any, you know, I've got to wait for next month for a payment to come through before I can get it fixed. God, what are you doing? We all get up in God's face about it. Because that's a sense of entitlement, isn't it? And Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you. This is your entitlement. My love in you, through you, servant position, for you, what Jesus did for us, through you, to others. That's the only entitlement that we should be living in, church. The result of letting our entitlement go, what is it? Well, with Jesus, it resulted in him doing something very simple, very ordinary, very practical. Very simple, very orderly, very practical. He saw what was needed. In those days, you got dirty feet if you traveled, if you walked. It wasn't like today. There weren't pavements. It wasn't all clean. And they had open-toe sandals. So what was the need when they came into that place? For them to have their stinking, dirty, dusty, maybe mud-caked feet washed. It was going to make a difference to the room, and it was going to make a difference to those individuals. That was the need. They didn't have Skechers shoes back then. And God loves it when we serve one another in invisible, lowly, practical ways. And I could give you examples how I've seen people do that over the years in my own fellowship. New life, just doing stuff that needs doing, not looking around to see who else isn't doing it and getting irate. And I'm going to make a confession here. This was me last week, all right? Me last week. Music stands. We use schools' music stands that are on the far end of the school. We just go and get them. We go and bring them into the hall. And I was huffing and puffing on the way home because what happened was, I was grumbling to God because I'd got the music stands because I was there early. And I set them up. And then... Everybody else came, and the tech team came, and the musicians came. And I was, I was leading worship that day, and, and then I had a great time. And then at the end of the meeting, people wanted to talk to me, and some people coming for prayer. And, and, and these music stands were just still there. And the chairs went away, and people went for tea and coffee. The band went for tea and coffee. Oh, music stands are still there. So in the end, what did I do? I grabbed them and walked and put them back in the room. And um, got in the car and went home. And I said, God, don't I see it? Why should I, the pastor, be putting away music stands, taking them to the music room at the other end of the school? And once I stopped venting, (laughs) once I shut up, I sat in the driveway before I got in the house, and God spoke to me in a very clear inner voice. Sometimes I think it must be other people can hear it, but I know it's to me. He said something like, son, more for you if you, do, if you aren't training and commissioning to people to do that. That was the first thing. And then he says, 
And are you too important to carry a bit of metal from one room to another if that's what needs doing? I remembered the basin and the towel. So these two things, friends. The pattern is forsaking a sense of entitlement, taking on the posture of servanthood, and then that being worked out in normal, everyday, helpful ways. If that's all you take from today, that will be enough. It's the only way to be elevated like Jesus was by the Father. The only way to be elevated is to stoop like Jesus. Speak like Jesus. Act like Jesus. It's a new commandment because you can't pickle love. You can't preserve love. You can't vacuum pack love. God's love is eternal. But it's vibrant when it's acted out in the here and now. And the last one. The power for the new commandment. Turn with me to John 15. It's not on your screen. And we're going to finish off with this. The power. You can just listen if you like. Almost the exact same statement that we've looked at today, but it's in a slightly different context. Just a little bit further on in John. This is by Jesus. This is what it says, John 15, 9 to 10. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Where's the power? Staying in Jesus' love. Like Jesus stays in the Father's love. Abiding. And we know the context, don't we, some of you? If we read around the context, the context is he's talking about the vine. He's talking about branches. He's using that allegory of the Father being the vine dresser, Jesus being the vine, and us being the branches. And there's a verse a bit further back in this chapter that you can find for yourself. It says, without him we can do nothing. Nothing. But when we're in him, when we're abiding in him, as Jesus abides in the Father, he's only telling the disciples to do what he's already doing. He's only showing the disciples how to do, how to do these things. He's showing them so that he, they can do them. But it all comes from staying in the love of Christ. A lot of other commandments in the Bible are a call to action. But this commandment can only be enacted and become action from a place of connection. That's where the power, the love flows. Are you connected? Am I connected? Are we truly abiding and enjoying and basking in the love of God every day? Enjoying the grace and the mercy of God? Do you know... And we'll close here. We can either pedal faster and wear ourselves out trying to do everything, trying to generate the power of love, or we can plug into the source of love and be loved in the process. This commandment is new today, remains new, 
as we are renewed and healed and restored and accept the commission every day to receive the fresh power to love. Last slide. It's still the new commandment. It's still new. It will never be obsolete. It wasn't the latest fad. It wasn't the coolest idea that Jesus had that was just for that group of lads. No. Jesus is still looking. He's looking for a person. He's looking for a group. He's looking for a church that will embrace, will embrace this commandment. We'll say we will obey. We will abide. I will obey. I will abide in you, Lord. I'll lay down my entitlement. I'll reassess my priorities. I'll allow the pattern of Jesus to become my pattern. I can't do it without you, but I'm ready to love like you love me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you today that you sent Jesus, that you love the world so much that you sent Jesus just at the right time. And Jesus, as we've examined how you went about bringing in your kingdom, your kingdom of love, Lord, you did it in such an intimate, upside-down, caring way. Thank you, Lord, that there's nothing that you ask of us that you have not already exemplified and gone through even to death on a cross were you obedient. Father, you see our hearts today. Lord, you see if we're ready, if we know your love, first of all, if we really know your love, and you see if we're ready to display your love. And I just want to ask right now, if there's anybody, you're saying, I want to know that love. I want to know the love of Christ. And you're not sure you do. Why don't you stand? I'm not asking whether you've prayed a prayer before, but if you just say, I need to know the love of Christ. Just stand where you are right now. Father, I thank you that you can bring your love into those lives. That you're ready, you're waiting with the basin and the towel, to serve us. And Lord, you know if we're ready, Lord, to, to be those vessels of your love, to display your love in this way, to make this commandment new in our day. Lord, help us, we pray. If you just want to stand, if you're saying, yeah, I want to love like that. I've heard you, Lord. I want to love. I want to love the way you love. Why don't you just stand right now as well? I'm standing. It's not the standing right now makes it happen. But it's a statement of intent. It's a statement of humility. It's a way of saying, I will follow you, Jesus, in the pattern of love. Lord, you see those who are stood Lord, you know why why we're stood? Because we really want to know your love flowing through us. We want to take those opportunities. Holy Spirit, come. Let that spirit, that spirit of that room, 
fill us, the spirit of Christ, fill us, we pray. So we really become those who love like you love. In the name of Jesus, amen.